Hello, I'm Catherine. And I'm Gail. And we are pleased to have as our guest today in the studio, Lois Way. Lois Way Ehrenstein's entire career has been dedicated to developing opportunities for retirees to remain engaged, relevant, and productive throughout their lives. Lois's mantra has always been that older persons are an underutilized asset for their communities and for their nation, for our nation. And you were a keynote speaker in Australia in 2011 on that topic, Lois. You started working in this area beginning in 1971 when you wrote, directed, and produced theater productions with older persons. And when you reimagined senior center services and when you created more empowered seniors. Starting in 1984, you initiated a project in partnership with the Framingham Chamber of Commerce called Project Reward, using the town of Framingham as, an, as a laboratory for older persons' empowerment. Later, you became the New England Area Representative for ARP and worked for 26 years in various ARP directorship capacities. Director for the New York State ARP, you were a frequent television, radio, and print media spokesperson on national and state issues affecting older people. You've received numerous awards, including the Legacy and Aging Award in New York State, and have held many leadership positions on boards for aging and health programs. In addition to this work, you found time to be an adjunct professor, I don't know how, at the Hunter Brookdale Center on Aging, teaching graduate courses on careers in aging. So Lois, welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagine. And we'd love to start by hearing how you found your way to working on behalf of, of older citizens. It's, it's an interesting story that will take hours. <laughs> But I, I do believe in the spiritual path. I have to say, it seems like I've had one opportunity after another that I just followed and I was in the right place at the right time. Mm -hmm. Starting as a teacher, um, and there was a point in time where I left teaching to raise my children, you couldn't go back to teaching because there was a glut of teachers. Mm -hmm. And I've heard this on one of your recordings before. Yes. So we explore, I explored other areas. Um, I, I want to start with the theater and what I learned, what I learned when I started working with older adults in this area. Mm -hmm. So I started in Buffalo, New York, working at a, a Jewish community center on Sundays. That was my little part-time job. And they asked me to do theater with kids. And I had a background in theater. So I was happy to have this little part-time job. <laughs> and then they asked me to work with older adults. And I said, hmm, that's interesting. So when I started working with older adults, I met Charlotte. And Charlotte and we were going to put on a play for Purim about Queen Esther. <laughs> and Charlotte was cast in the role of Queen Esther. Well, a couple of weeks go by, and I'm starting to then hear from Charlotte's neighbors 
from Charlotte's friends that Charlotte, as Queen, was, was insisting that all her neighbors and friends call her Queen Esther. <laughs> so I began to say, well, what is that? You know, and it was serious. It wasn't, you know, I mean, it was funny, but it, but it wasn't funny to her. And I started to see that there was something not quite right here. You have to remember what the times were like in the early 70s and even before then, 60s. Older people were cast out and had no role in society. If they were to come together for a senior center, they would have arts and crafts. You know, maybe they would do a little dance. But there was no role, meaningful role, no purpose for older adults in those years. We cast them aside. We told them, you must, you know, you should retire or you must retire. Mm -hmm. And they were lost. A lot of people were lost, didn't know what their life was going to be like. Uh, men in particular had a very hard time yeah. with being cast out. And in those days, there was actually a lot of suicide and a lot of deaths shortly after people retired. Hmm. So that's the setting the background of where we came from in terms of older people having meaningful roles, purpose, and feeling relevant in our society. Yes, yes. My second story is about Joe Barnes. Joe was a, a vaudevillian when he was working. And I found Joe when I started to work, I was now in New York, downstate New York. I started to recruit my actors for putting on a production. Somebody told me about Joe Barnes. And Joe is living in a little room in a motel on, on the side of a road. And they told me about him. And I couldn't reach him by phone. And so one day I, I knocked on Joe's door. He opened the door. He was very bent over. Um, he was sickly looking, and he, but he invited me in, and we had a long talk. And I asked Joe, would he join my troupe of actors? Mm -hmm. And he was, he was very reluctant, but he said to me, well, if you come and pick me up and drive me, I'll go. So that became my purpose, <laughs> was to drive Joe to the rehearsal. One day, Joe, the first day, Joe comes to rehearsal. He's, he gets up. He starts walking towards the stage very slowly. He, go, he walks up the steps. He gets on the stage. He picks up the microphone. He all of a sudden throws away his cane and straightens up and with a with energy that I hadn't seen in Joe before, he belts out a song that totally just floored me, floored me. 
I didn't, I looked at that and I said, oh my God, what just have I just witnessed? Mm -hmm. And I realized that what I witnessed was transformation. Mm-hmm. Joe, all of a sudden, had a role, had the spotlight, and he transformed himself back to when he was 20 or 30 years younger. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, that was for me the aha moment where I realized wait a minute, there is something more to this aging thing. There's something happening here. We need to find out more about why is this happening? Why are people thrown thrown away? Mm -hmm. Why are they discarded? Why don't they have roles? Look at at what happens to Joe when he's given an opportunity. Mm -hmm. And that really was the beginning of my seeking the, you know, more information about gerontology and aging and what is this about? Sure. So I went back to Columbia Teachers College, took some courses, and really started on my journey. And I've had a very long journey. So mm-hmm. now I want to tell you another story. Is this okay? I can tell you. <laughs> Please story. do. Go okay. right ahead. All right. Fast forward. I am now in Framingham, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. I have become the director of the senior center in Framingham, Massachusetts. So now I'm running buses, I'm organizing programs, and I'm working uh, with quite a big staff, considering it's a senior center. And in my quest to find out what we could be doing more to help older people find their passion. So I visited, we have a GM plant in Framingham, Massachusetts, and I visited the General Motors retiree group. Mm. And I, I asked them, so what if you had a wish list and could do anything in this stage of life, what would you do? And the answers were amazing. I mean, I, you wouldn't expect it because there they were playing cards and, you know, seemingly very happy. One man raises his hand and he says, if I had my druthers, he said, I would teach kids that working with your hands is not dirty work. Mm-hmm. And another man raises his hand and he says, you know, I speak Portuguese. Hmm. I would love to teach young people the language, Mm -hmm. how to speak Portuguese. Mm -hmm. That was, you know, when you ask those questions, you're not expecting these kinds of responses, but those responses were really about their desires to continue to contribute, but we, didn't have a way to connect Mm -hmm. these people, these retirees with that kind of opportunity. That's right. In those days. Right. Right. So there lies the problem. How do you connect older people to, to things that they can contribute in the community? Mm -hmm. Um, So I must say that 
my speech in Australia, the title was Shift Happens. And it really was about the changing demographics. But it was also focused on the fact that in communities today, older people are getting involved. And we are recognizing now that older people have assets that can contribute and can build communities. Mm -hmm. Do you think that the Framingham Project had anything to do with communities taking a look at this differently? Well, the interesting thing is what happened that, I'll start with the uh, Framingham Senior Center. What happened with the Senior Center, it became a senior center that serves the community. So we all know, you walk into a senior center, what do you see? You see people playing cards, you see people getting up and dancing, you see people in chairs sleeping. You know, it's not, it's not appealing to a lot of people, so they walk out. Mm -hmm. um, we decided that's not how we're gonna operate. Um, we didn't stop those programs, but we put them in the back. So the first thing when you come in, you see activity. Mm -hmm. And there were a lot of volunteers in our center that were part of the, of the services we offered. Outreach, they were outreach workers, they were volunteers. They worked, they volunteered to visit the nursing homes. Mm -hmm. They volunteered uh, to do things in the community. So we began to realize that older people don't have to be served. We, they can serve. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, and, and uh, you know, when I go back to Ethel Percy Andrus, who created AARP, mm -hmm. her motto was to serve and not be served. Mm -hmm. So, and in our, in our society, we think we have to serve older people, you know, and never recognize that older people can do things. And they can contribute, even in nursing homes, they can contribute. Mm -hmm. And yet we, we don't give them that opportunity. Right. So, so that, that's part of it. Right. What's an example, Lois, of ways that people can contribute while they're in, residing in a nursing home? Mm -hmm. um, okay, well, I'm going to say this, um, and maybe this is a, not quite answering your question, but I think it's very interesting. Um, so when I was in Australia, they focus on long-term care. We have no focus on long-term care, none. I mean, we don't talk about it. We don't plan for it. You know, it's, we just don't. In, in Australia, I met a man who, who, were, who was, I call him my guru on stories, um, who was working with the staff of nursing homes to capture the stories mm. of, the, of the, the people in the nursing home. Yes. So they actually made videos, and I have a couple of copies of some of those videos, of some of the stories of the actual people in the nursing home. And what that did was to engage the families because they were part of the story 
And also to share the fact that these were con- contributing, contributing people mm-hmm. um, in their lives and helping the staff to understand that these people are not done yet. And I think it turned the culture around in the nursing homes in Australia to understand that these folks can still contribute within the nursing home. Mm -hmm. They can plan menus. They can help with with the dinner service. They can help each other in certain ways. So things came out of those stories that um, that were quite remarkable in in the nursing homes. I'm thinking that that um, older people so often just they just do right. They they stop being proactive, and and sometimes all it takes, if I hear you correctly, is simply to ask, and you will see a whole new side of someone. Their right. personality returns. Right to ask, but also connect. Mm-hmm. So it, it it turned out it was my job in Framingham to, uh, I was the interviewer of all the new people who walked into that senior center. Mm-hmm. And I would find out what do they have in their heart? What do they want to do if they, you know, with the rest of their life? And I would make that connection to the community. Mm-hmm. But I was only one person. Yeah. You know, so and if you don't have a person like that, it's pretty hard to do. So we haven't figured out this system yet. But if we should ever create a domestic service corps in our country, Mm -hmm. you'd have a lot of hands raised from older adults. We had a a program for the um, for the low vision and blind in New York City through AARP. We wanted to match volunteers with folks who were homebound, who were low vision, um, with people, with volunteers, so that the volunteers could take them to doctor's appointments and food shopping, et cetera. Do you know that we had hundreds of volunteers, older volunteers who came forward and said, I will do that. Mm. Who would have thought? (laughs) I mean, it wasn't really an attractive kind of volunteer work, but we had hundreds that came forth and volunteered, and especially in the black community. Mm -hmm. So working for uh, ARP, as you did for so many years, that gave you a more national view, I would imagine. And how how did that play out? I think um, ARP has the resources, mm-hmm. has the membership to really make that happen. And I know um, because I was part of the original group that started the the, um, age-friendly communities. ARP has has been working very diligently on creating communities in states that are Mm age-friendly. And that means using volunteers that are ARP volunteers 
to work within their communities to make each, each town, each city, each little rural community age-friendly. Mm -hmm. And there's a very well uh, laid out uh, definition of age-friendly in terms of what can be done. So that, that's only one way that ARP can do that. Um, and I think, I think we are just really at the tipping point of, of understanding that older people can contribute in a big way. Um, you're seeing more and more your program as an example. Mm -hmm. Your program I mean, wouldn't have existed 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. You know, who would have thunk people 70 plus really being finding a purpose, you know, understanding that they have a role to play and people are searching for that. So more and more people are understanding they can't just retire and go and play <laughs> play you know that only goes so far that there's more to life and it's also about themselves feeling good about themselves and being uh having relevance and that has to do with how society views them that's right society if if that's how society views them that's how they're going to be but if yeah. we change how we view older people, then that's what they'll expect as they as they age. We have a big job to do, Gail and Catherine. And that is ageism is going is is still throughout our culture. Mm -hmm. And we really have to change that view of older persons. And we can do that by promoting these these models, role models, and show what older people can contribute. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it seems to me it's a two, you know, it's at least a two way street. It's what society or holds these very ageist attitudes and perspectives. Right. But some of that gets it, it, it absorbed by us as well that we, you know, so we have to be our own best advocates, I think. Right. And even in our um, gerontology world where we are providing services to older people, our services are designed to serve mm -hmm. and not designed to create independence. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of reworking that we need to do um, to, to allow people to help themselves because the more we take away from them, the less they will do. And the, so we have to really look at this and redesign the way we serve our older population. Are there other countries that have models that we should be looking to? Absolutely, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, I attended an international conference in Ireland and what the Europeans are far ahead of us mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. And even, and even other cultures are far ahead of us in terms of um, understanding the value of older people and, and, and designing their service structure in a way that doesn't um, incapacitate people and 
keeps people more independent. So um, there are lots of models for us to follow, but we don't, we, that's not what we do. <laughs> no, we, we don't look beyond our own borders often. Right. <laughs> you know, um, right. It's a plane. So what I want to say is, yes, shift happens, but, uh, but shift <laughs> is happen continuing to happen. This is a work in progress. We've come mm -hmm. a long way, baby. Um, but we, we haven't gotten there yet. We have a long way to go. So uh, am I on? You um, said that you teach a graduate course on careers in aging. Yes. Are, so I what did. are the career you did? Yeah. And what I'm hearing is that some of the gerontology programs, university programs are, are phasing out and uh, there's not a big call for doctors to go into geriatrics. And right. what do you see? Well, what I see is we have, there was a point in time, and I would say it was the late 60s when the Older Americans Act became, um, became very, um, very visible. And the presidents were behind it. Our, our U.S. presidents were behind the old, uh, creating an Older Americans Act. During those years, there was a big focus on aging, about uh, creating a service structure to, to take care of our older parents. Um, and yes, it wasn't designed exactly right because um, we've created a lot of incapacity instead of encouraging independence. Mm -hmm. But there was a lot of money and there was money for transportation. There was money for in-home long-term care. That has dissipated with all the other priorities that have come come up. Nobody mm -hmm. wants to talk about aging. Nobody's getting old. Nobody has parents that they're caring for. I mean, it's almost like the invisible issue now. And um, it has to come around again because of the numbers of people who are going to um, need support. Um, right. We are in an aging society. Mm -hmm. And we are going to have to keep people independent as long as possible in their own communities, in their own houses, with services that are appropriate. But we are also going to have to focus on that. And we are not. We don't talk about it and we don't plan. I'm very sorry to say. Mm. It's not a good picture. Not to say that the pendulum won't swing back. You know, people are in denial. I'm in denial. I'm 77. I can't believe I'm going to be almost 80 years old. I'm in <laughs> denial. I'm never getting old. You know, I'm continuing to work for as long as I can. But there has to be a recognition that not everybody is aging the same way. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's right. And and it, it just seems to me that that the role you're playing is so important. And how do we get more people to really get out there and do something about it? Because clearly it's it's still a grassroots action that needs that is needed with our with with the United States saying that they are interested in this. 
you know, but the women we speak to, Lois, the women we we interview, they are the epitome of women who have found purpose, who are still moving forward, and we hope will be inspiration to those who follow them. Right. We do so have I'm, to... I'm, go ahead, Catherine. Is there really, is there a movement? Because I'm thinking about the Grey Panthers movement, the, the, <laughs> right? That with Maggie Coon. You know, I was part of that years ago. I mean, and I'm blanking. What was uh, her name? Um, Maggie Coon. Maggie Coon. Maggie. I, I met Maggie. Um, she was in Boston many times. We partied with Maggie. Maggie was extraordinary. And um, I wish there were more Maggies. Mm-hmm. We, we almost need a movement like the uh, feminist movement yeah. of yesteryear for, for old, you know, but, but it's, it's not a movement that focuses on, uh, on uh, the, you know, the, the downside mm-hmm. of aging. There is that. But there's also an upside. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. And and if we organized it correctly, older people could be great advocates and change communities so that older people can continue to live independently and in their own homes. Yes. I mean, we can make this happen. There are models, many, many models. I've been part of a few, mm-hmm. um, but they never get replicated. Yeah, <laughs> you know, um, I just think there's so much going on that we're distracted right right now. Mm-hmm. We can't even focus on it right now. You know, we're focused on other things. Yeah, right, right. Well, wow. Ageism. We got to fight ageism. We got to get that. Uh, we we have to look at it in the media. Some of the images of older people in the media just makes me mad. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, either they're jokes and funny because they're so, um, you know, they're not all together. <laughs> it's also a, a form of discrimination because too many people, you you know, they they show these memes on social media of older people who are, like you just said, funny. And and uh, and and so they aren't seeing the the people who are doing this aren't seeing what what they're actually doing. So it's a whole education process that's needed. Right. At one point, and this again goes back to the seventies. We were trying to educate business people about. Um, preparing for an aging population that would be consumers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, it went a little, it, it, it started to take off and then it just collapsed, mm-hmm. you know, because the truth of the matter is older people don't spend as much money as young people. Right. You know, and so you really couldn't convince people that older people are, you know, should be focused on for consumers. Mm -hmm. There was a point in time when companies realized the value of the people leaving the company who were retiring, and they in fact kept kept those as volunteers. Mm -hmm. And the the company took credit 
for their volunteers, like the telephone pioneers. Remember the telephone mm -hmm. pioneers? And other groups that were still connected to their own company and they volunteered in the community representing their company. Mm -hmm. And the companies were enjoying that publicity, but now it doesn't seem to be that important anymore. Right, right. And when you use the term old age or older age, what, what, when, when does that start? What, what, is, what age are we talking about? Um, there's a lot of <laughs> debate about when that starts. <laughs> you know, I have a friend and, you know, I know you're only doing women, but he's great, a great speaker. He, he talks about using the world, word old. Mm -hmm. And he's saying, why are we afraid to use that word? Mm -hmm. You know, at what point? I mean, why is that a bad word? And why when we say I'm old, you know, you're somehow admitting that you're over the hill, you know. <laughs> so he, he does a whole presentation, which I'm going I'm going to bring him into ARP to speak about that. But um, when the definition of a senior is usually around the uh, 62, which is the age for Social Security, <laughs> you know, and then 65 for Medicare. Um, but certainly people today in their 60s are youthful and you know it's just a whole other world so 60s 70s right <laughs> exactly and and like the uh 97 year old woman we spoke with before you lois really <laughs> and what is and she's still going huh she is still oh, that's great yes she great. is intent on doing good helping people. That's great. Yeah. So we appreciate the work that you have done and continue to do and appreciate your being a guest on here. Do you have any last remarks for us? Um, well, I want to get back to the word relevance for a minute. Sure. Because this is very personal relevance. Yeah. When I, and I've heard people say this on your programs before, when I get up in the morning, I want to feel valued, mm -hmm. but I want to, and it's not having a purpose for me. I've had enough purpose. Don't give me any more purpose. I don't want to work so hard, you know, but I need to feel relevant mm -hmm. and relevant. And we need to define it for ourselves. Relevant could be I'm a grandmother and I, you know, I help my daughter with grandchildren. Relevant can be, you know, giving, giving advice to a, um, uh, to a person that changes her direction for a career. Let me, can I tell you one more story? Yeah. One more story. Yes. Okay. One more story is speaking about relevant. I think I told this on Vicki, Vicki Thomas's, um, Thing about relevance. This is about a nursing home person. This is my friend's mother who is in a nursing home and she all her life was a doer. She was an advocate. She created schools. She mm. was a high-powered woman. Now she's in a nursing home mm. and she starts screaming in at the top of her lungs, I was someone. 
Mm. I was someone. Mm. And this nurse came over to her and, and, and said, yes, I, I know you were someone. Tell me the stories. And she had the, she had the woman tell her who she was and what she could, did. Mm-hmm. And then the conversation turned around to the nurse. And it turned out that this young woman, young black woman, was in a nursing program, had not gotten all her licenses yet. And this woman took her under her wing, the nurse who was in the nursing home, and every day she um, coached her. Oh what did you do today? You know, did you get this done? Did you go for that? You know, how about this? She became a mentee of the woman in the nursing home. And uh, fast forward during COVID, this woman got her licenses, became a, a, a nurse, you know, with all the, I don't know all the licenses, but she became a nurse and she was recognized by the entire hospital as uh, one of the best nurses during COVID. And she mm. was holding up her certificate. Mm. So that's a story um, of somebody in a nursing home who yes. was someone who wanted to be someone still. Mm-hmm. I love that story. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, Catherine, any last questions? No, not for now, but this is very, very helpful, Joan, or Lois. Thank you so much. Yes. I didn't know when the session ended, but. Well, we could keep going. I I just think that to end with that notion, I was someone and I still want to be someone. Right. That Mm -hmm. is really powerful. Right. Yes, it is. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Gail and Catherine, and keep up the good work. You're doing an important thing, and I I do want to connect you with Janae and the Black community in Chicago, because these are coming from a different life experience. Yes, we appreciate that very much. much. All right, you will go on and have a great day. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I'm still someone, I think. (laughs) Bye. Bye.